Choosing a medical specialty, an inevitable part of any medic's journey, but are we really prepared to make that decision? Hi, I'm Chantal Corbin, and this is A A Doctor's Doctor's Insight, the space where healthcare professionals give us the inside scoop on their journey to becoming a specialist doctor. With transparency and truth, you'll hear about their professional experiences, personal sacrifices, and work-life balance. A Doctor's Insight, medical students and foundation doctors, this one's for you. The fir- well, not welcome back, but welcome to the first episode of A Doctor's Insight. Um, we're very thankful that you are tuning in to listen. We have a very special guest here with us today, and that is Dr. Payne. So Dr. Payne is a recently appointed consultant in child and adolescent psychiatry covering Anglesey in North Wales. She trained at Leeds Medical School, then did her core psychiatry training in Liverpool and finally did higher specialty training in CAMS in North Wales, getting closer and closer to home each time. She met a child psychiatrist for work experience as a 17 year old, which confirmed to her that's what she wanted to do in life. And 13 years later, now works as a consultant in that same service that she shadowed as a teenager. So Dr. Payne absolutely loves her job and finds it very interesting and rewarding. She particularly enjoys covering her home patch of Anglesey as she can use her first language with families and colleagues across services, which helps build rapport and trust. So Dr. Payne, thank you so much for speaking to me today. No, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, particularly as the first first guest. Yeah, that's yes, exciting. Very special. Thank you. Yeah, I feel very special after that introduction. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to start off by asking you to tell me a bit more about the specialty. Yeah. So, um, so the specialty itself, child, child and adolescent psychiatry, um, it does require a lot of co-working between services. So it it involves working with closely with schools, um, particularly with youth justice services with uh, new developmental new developmental teams so it's it's a very um sort of holistic service and a holistic spe- subspeciality and you work in partnership more so probably than other subspecialities um the hierarchy is less so um you work alongside lots of other key professionals like family therapists and psychologists um and you're on the same sort of same same framework as them so so it's it's a lot it's a very good w- a job for collaborative working um and it involves lots of different disciplines okay so when we talk about multidisciplinary approaches to patient care, um, it sounds like this specialty is heavily weighted on that, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. So could you describe a typical day or even week um, in your job? Yeah. So um, a typical week. So I'd have a clinic where I have follow ups and I see young people um, who I've seen already. Um, and that would be for an arra- a range of different conditions such as depression, anxiety, um rarely psychosis sometimes eating disorders which are seem fixed and need a bit of psychiatric um support input um and and in addition to the new assessments that i see from day to day and they they're always a bit more chunky and that's where i get to know that's when i get to know the family a bit more the first assessments and i um spend a lot of time as well gathering information from from their sort of history, from their social side of things, um, from educational side. So it's it does involve sort of day to day work does involve quite a lot of collaborating. Um, so 
sort of making contact with schools, with teachers, um, additional learning needs coordinators to work out whether having enough assistance or help at school, in addition to um, sort of day to day trying out different medication that could help. Um, and sometimes school observations, which I really enjoy doing. So um, when I'm when I'm lucky enough, I get to go to school. Um, primary schools are particularly um, enjoyable, um, and I get to do some observations of smaller children uh, when I try to hide in the corner, usually uh, non-successfully, um, and and observe to see how a child manages in a school setting. Um, so that's probably that's one of my highlights. Um, highlights of the week that happens but they happen sort of not as often as I'd like them to happen. That still sounds amazing being able to go into a primary school and that's not something that other specialties get to experience very much is it? No it's not no it's not and it's it's a definitely a privilege to be able to do that and I think with CAMS as a subspeciality what I really value is that you've got the space to do that so you've got the um you've got the time you know you are alloc- you have got time to get to know a child holistically to the extent where you can observe them in school um, and you need to do that because you need to be very careful how you tread um initially the initial assessment stages you need to be careful that if somebody's concerned that they need some medication you need to know fully how they are in every setting particularly if they're a young child because that could shape how they are treated how they behave you know um mm. in years to come so it's really important you get it right right at the beginning and and you are usually you are given that time and freedom to do that properly that's good so can you tell me a bit more about what the hours are like the hours are um so obviously it varies in each team that you're in and it always ver- also varies if you're a substantive consultant or if you're a lo- if you're a locum consultant locum consultants tend to be worked quite hard you know they, they, they get increased caseloads often because they're um they're funded in that way as a um substantive consultant which is what i am i work for the nhs um it is and it depends which area i mean it always varies and it varies also in waves depending on how busy you know school terms all the rest of it but it is currently very manageable um thankfully um and 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 it is nine to five days usually with on calls so on calls can occur it depends again where you are but one in nine usually one in ten so every every ten or so evenings you do an on call um, and that's telephone advice usually um very very rarely would you get called in on an evening and then you do weekends every couple of months and again it's telephone initially and then it's face-to-face assessments if need be um but it's definitely it's nothing like the on calls that I used to have to do as a CT or as an F1, F2. Um, you know, it's much, being being off site on call is even though they're longer, you're doing for 12, 24 hours at a time. It is so much more bearable than being on site. Um, and I have a lot of admiration for for colleagues, for senior consultant colleagues who who are very much on site doing their own calls, which is paediatrics. And I always always um, feel very guilty when they when they phone me asking for advice. And I do I do think, gosh, you know, they're, they're working really hard on, on the wards. Um, so I think for, ca- for CAMS as a, as, a, as a lifestyle, I do think it is more manageable from that perspective. Of course, there's downfalls where you can make when it can become less manageable from the emotional um, heaviness of the subject. And then it's up to you to be able to help um, help build up that resilience inside to to leave the work at work and home at home to be able to support yeah. yourself from you know being able to cope with that with that emotional 
depth that's required in CAMS. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to discuss that a bit more later on in the interview. Yeah. Um, but that nine to five sounds very appealing. And I'm yes. sure some people listening would be like, that's a lifestyle that yeah. <laughs> I prefer. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't, and I I suppose I, I know each person's different, and um and I suppose people can make uh you know their works uh, longer, and there needs to be and it is does does require some boundaries in yourself and being able to um being able to know when when you need to stop. But yes, I, I certainly think it's certainly possible to be working nine to five. That's what I'm doing, and with the flexible working from home days as well. Um, when there's MDTs or um, because because in cams are MDT so multidisciplinary meetings are a big part of your week you know you do I do half a week of MDT um, and that can be done sometimes that's done on um, with person in person or since COVID it's been done online so there's they're definitely flexible working from home times as well which is very helpful for work-life balance yes which is very important yes very important yeah. absolutely Okay, so can you tell me a bit more about the common presentations that you see? So I know you mentioned eating disorders, but are there any more? Yeah, so most commonly we see between anxiety and depression, they both work hand in hand, to be fair. Um, Probably a push, I'd say anxiety is the most common. And then you get a secondary depression often young people. Um, There does appear to be more so of conditions such as anxiety and depression since COVID, um, particularly anxiety in children that have struggled already in the school and then they've had a period of being off school and then it's been really hard for them to come back in and that's a real common pattern that we've that we've been seeing. Those are the sort of those are the often the cases that we see. Um, you also see a lot of the cases that we see they also have have associated autism particularly in anxiety so there'll be often a reason why such as autism that may mean that person is struggling more so with their anxiety than than another person and also with depression because if you feel like a, if you have a sense that you know that you don't quite fit in that you're not quite understanding the world in the same way as somebody with autism may do then it means that they are more likely to suffer with self-esteem and therefore secondary low mood um so that's that there that's a really common pattern that we that we see day to day um so in addition to those conditions also see children that are um struggling rarely less so not as not as um commonly but children that struggle with perceptual abnormalities so you know forms of psychosis or early psychosis often most often they are associated with with illicit drug use at this age so the ones that i have seen have been um have been associated with cannabis use largely uh, there have been other conditions which uh, other cases where i've seen younger children uh, struggle with psychosis uh, secondary to epilepsy so it's a more of an organic picture generally when they're younger um so yeah and then there's other conditions such as eating disorders and they do tend to get treated they do tend to be managed by a um team within cams who are usually family therapy led um because a lot of the, the mainstay treatment for eating disorder is systemic family therapy um and e- eating disorder specific family therapy um so 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 sometimes we'd be involved so i've got a case tomorrow which i'm going to be involved with because the particular cases are fixed are quite fixed the cases um the young people uh find it very hard to 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 build insight into their difficulties and therefore it's quite hard to get any progress 
um, at this stage. So when there's a query about whether somebody should be admitted to hospital, um, whether sectioning might be required in that particular case, then that's when you would be involved as a psychiatrist because you'd need to assess their um, their level of risk where they need to come into hospital, be it informally, um, i.e. be it um, in that voluntarily or be it sort of um, by being by being sectioned. So that's so that as, a, as a psychiatrist, that is quite one of your main roles, to be fair. It sounds like you touch on a breadth of uh, presentations and pathologies. Yes. Um, yeah. When I was uh, doing my psychiatry block, when I first started, I thought that anxiety and depression were going to be the two major presentations that I'd see so often. Um, but hearing you talk about eating disorders and even psychosis in young, young children is really interesting because I didn't think that they would present so early. Mm. Yeah. No, and they do. I mean, obviously, it's a less, you know, it's a lesser proportion of my caseload. But they are there um, and they do occur. I probably come across one every, an average one every six months or so. So it's mm. not that as common as I'd see in anxiety depression. And yes, um, disordered eating is a big condition. You know, when I say disordered eating, I mean um, eating disorders which aren't classically related to anorexia and are actually related to forms of self-harm, particularly. They're, they're becoming increasingly common now. Okay. So I guess this leads into what I'm going to combine two questions. What um, is your favourite part about the specialty? And then what is your least favourite part? OK, um, so my favourite part of the subspeciality is that it varies each case and it's never boring. That it's ne- it's ne- I never find it boring um, because each case will have an individual story to it to read to understand about to learn from that young person from the family it's never a classic simple um this person's got so and so therefore we treat this and this there's always a reason why that you want to find out and my best my sort of my favorite part of that related to that is when i first meet a young person and there's an expectation the hope that you can help them and being able to help them by providing them some form of hope um, gives me a great satisfaction. So that first initial initial assessment I really enjoy, um, particularly particularly from the sort of just from the rapport side of things, where they when when I've just met a young person and they feel able to open up to me and be emotional and be vulnerable with me, and I get a real sense of connection with them, and I get a buzz from that emotional connection, um, and I feel just a, a feel of interest as well as fulfilment from that. Um, it's particularly great, not great, but particularly powerful when it's in the Welsh language, I find. So that connection that I get with a family, if they speak Welsh, uh, tends to be even greater. Um, and therefore, yeah, it just it fulfills me even more so. Um, the down for the worst bit of the job. I suppose the hardest bit of the job is is that mental health conditions in um, particularly in children but in all specialities do evoke uh, understandably anxiety uh, within professionals within then therefore within systems so there might a case that people are worried about will then incur anxiety within colleagues um, and and sometimes that can make a case hard then to manage harder um, because people may then 
me included you know we may act a certain way because we're anxious ourselves about a case um and it's and it become it can become blurry then the lines of you know what are you actually trying to treat here you're trying to you know you, you tend to find it then harder to um keep focus on what needs to be done because you're affected by the anxiety around the system if you see what i mean um so that's the downfall of of the of the job but it's understandable um and it's part of it Hmm. So when you get a particularly emotionally taxing case, yeah, how would you deal with that? So um, I would try. Let's think of an example. I think so. It's helpful if you can talk to a colleague. So if you can talk through um, a particular case with a colleague and work out why you're finding it emotionally taxing, um, what is it about the case? that's making you feel anxious or not anxious even just that it that it's staying in your mind why are you going home at night thinking about this particular case and and often by by sort of discussing with a colleague um even as a consultant so uh, you know if there's I've got consultant colleagues that we often talk to each other about cases uh, doing supervision peer supervision you're able to work out what is it about that case which is worrying you and therefore you tackle that particular bit um so for example a, a common worry might be that you don't feel like you're doing enough for that person you, f- you worry that you're missing something you worry that this person isn't getting better and then you think problem solved together to say well actually i have done lots of things like I, there isn't necessarily anything else at this stage but it's okay to be uncomfortable with that and it's okay to feel uncertain because it is an uncomfortable feeling if somebody isn't getting better. So feel, so getting some form of validation from your colleagues, for example, or even your spouse or your friends, um, if done so confidentially, obviously, can be really valuable. So the key thing is to talk about and discuss it together. Mm. And sorry. Also, sorry. Sorry, you can go ahead. And also to make... And also, to make sure that you that you recognise that it's having an effect on you and to recognise when actually you need to leave this at the door and you need to be doing things doing things that are not work related in the evenings when you get home uh, to be able to distract yourself to some degree so then otherwise it'll affect your sleep you know affect everything else so you need to make sure that you've got a strong work-life balance and that you build on your life your personal life because you need to be working you need to be you need to be um living to what's the what's that phrase you shouldn't be living to work anyway you should be you should be able to actually be enjoying and fulfilling your you know being a sense of fulfillment outside of work and then from doing so you tend to have a greater perception perspective of the problems at work and be and feel less overwhelmed and therefore seem clear in your mind with what needs to be done so I guess the key takeaways would be to firstly accept that you are struggling with a case or that you yeah. are finding it particularly difficult, not being afraid to talk to members of the team um, mm. who hopefully will help you problem solve and get the answers that you need and then find a way to separate the professional and personal life. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And also knowing when I think when as I've grown in my seniority um just generally going through training I think the key thing for me is to learn 
learn that uh, that sometimes there is no answers and sometimes there is no clear way out of, of helping somebody and sometimes it feels uncomfortable and being able to sit with that uncomfortableness rather than trying to fix it because as medics we we just want to fix everything exactly um, and yeah. we can't do it do it all the time unfortunately no no uh, but having said that I don't want people to worry that if they were to think about doing cams which I'd highly recommend um I, I, person, I personally have only a couple of really, a real small handful of cases which have kept me up at night throughout the years. They don't actually, they don't happen that often. Um, obviously, it varies with who, with, you know, with yourself, with what's going on in your own personal life at the time. But it's, but it, they don't, you know, you are actually able to manage quite well with the emotional depth of the cases generally. That's reassuring to hear. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so my next question would be, what resource would you recommend for students who want to learn more about your specialty? Mm, that's a tricky one. I should have should have should have checked that one out beforehand. Um, no, that's okay. No, to be honest, resources wise, um, the best thing that you can do is spend time with CAMS. So the best thing that you can do is try and get some experience face-to-face with the team so be it um, a taste today be it a work experience be it um, as an F as an F1 and F2 you can do taster days in in CAMS Um, obviously as a medical student you can when you're doing psychiatry placement you can make contact with 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 a CAMS psychiatrist those those are where I learned there was no particular resource that I uh, read or watched or anything like that when I was training, um, although that probably would have been helpful, but I definitely valued the time that I had spent um, on my medical elective, for example, in fourth year um, with the CAMS team for two weeks. And that was that, that, that and yes, yeah, so all my taster days that I've had, that's been when I've been able to like solidify my passion in it and reassure that that's the way forward. I guess getting a first-hand experience is what's most important. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you just get a sense of, you just get a sense quite, I think you get a sense pretty early on whether it's for you or not. You know, you, you know whether it's whether it's a job that would suit your personality, your aims, mm-hmm. your you know, your values in life. Definitely. So we've talked a lot about the job itself and where you currently are, but just going back a few years, can you tell us a bit about how you arrived at your career path? Like, why did you choose the specialty? Yeah. So, um, so very early on, back in the age of at the age of seventeen, um, I was wondering, you know, what shall I do? And my dad, he's a psychologist, educational psychologist, so it works in a different way, but also they do overlap sometimes. So, education psychologists are the ones that attend schools and, um do sort of help with learning the children and assessments whether they need any additional help so they work with with cams and he said to me once oh what about you know what about what about working in cams and I was like oh well, no, this sounds interesting and obviously so I was quite exposed to him obviously you know my father and look up to greatly um but I was so from a young age I was quite exposed to his work and his involvement with schools and I found that quite interesting and this year I started to think about psychology so I thought oh looking at psychology is a job but um then I found out that it's hard to get a job to get a clinical psychology post afterwards. So I thought, well, that's that's a bit of a bit of a gamble for me. I want something a bit more, a bit more stable, you know, a bit more secure. And then that's when he mentioned, yeah, psychiatry. And I was like, oh, I haven't even thought about that. So then I met with a um, with a psychiatry consultant um, here in Bangor, where I work now. And I remember sitting down with him and him telling me 
it was a very hard, it was Irish, a very, very hard speciality, um, very difficult, very long, long road. And it certainly did not, didn't, didn't, I didn't leave feeling massively um, as if I was being encouraged, as per se. Maybe I think he's probably being realistic, he was at the time, uh, with, the, with the journey ahead. But I, for whatever reason, felt quite sure that's what I wanted to do um, at that age, at that time. And, I, and then it's hard to know why, but I just had a sense, a gut fee- I just had a feeling that I found that really interesting and I wanted to pursue it. So I went through, psych- through medical school. And I think one of the key things that, I, that, I would, that I'm quite passionate about is that during medical school, um, psychiatry, I, f- I got the sense, was quite low in the hierarchy of subspecialities. And I was sort of told, encouraged by many people throughout my five years of training, um, questioned whether I wanted to do so, why I wanted to do psychiatry. Do I really want to do psychiatry? Oh, gosh, you're brave. You're brave to be doing that. You know, are you sure you really want to do that? And that really irritated me because actually it did affect me to some degree because when I did when I came to doing F1, F2, I was like, oh, maybe I should explore other subspecialities like community peds um, or GP, which I did. But then I quickly, as I did those subspecialities such as peds and community peds as an F1, F2, I quickly realised that even though I'm interested in them, I wasn't as passionate about it. You know, um, GP, I think is great, but I think it lacks the time you don't have the time to be able to um you don't have enough to, I think it would be a fantastic job if you had the time to be able to actually get to know your patients properly and therefore get that sense of connectedness which you can probably with years to come but I think it's a tough job um and peas I think again is, is a tough job and it's it's med it's more medical really so it's obviously it's more you know physical you know you, you're trying to work through the physical signs of health rather than psychological signs so for me I just yes it just cams however really suited me um so I did a few more tasters in f1 f2 um in ca- in psychiatry to boost my um sort of portfolio so if you were to do psychiatry as a core trainee in Liverpool um and then I subspecialised then from there to do children's in North Wales. So I knew really from an early age, and it's hard to know why, but it's just where I got, I just got the buzz from it. I just remember even as a core trainee, and as adults, I still got a buzz from adult psychiatry as well. Um, I just would come home and there'd be times where, it would be fairly tough, but there'd be times where I just feel a real buzz after, after um, a real emotional buzz where I feel like really satisfied, where I feel interested because I've connected with somebody. And that's what gave me the buzz and the connection. That's what gave me the enthusiasm to be able to um, proceed. And I think what's really, I really everyone to also encourage people, you know, medical school is not easy. Medical school is tough. Um, it is. Very tough. Very tough for several different reasons. You know, you go through school uh, probably as a, as a big fish in a small pond. Initially at sixth form, you do well, you know, all the rest of it. And then suddenly you end up in medical school and... The, the, the stakes are higher you know you've got to prove yourself and it's very academic obviously um and I think if you're somebody such as myself who's a bit more who's also obviously academic you know did well in school you know got grades um and and and, and no no qualms that that extent but if, if you're like me who are a bit more creative and have skills outside of medicine really as well as but um you know think of the think uh, able to enjoy um things other than medical stuff such as you know being socially 
socially uh, you know available all, all that stuff you know creative doing art doing drama doing art, all the rest of it it's it, it does tend to squish you a bit as a student as a medical student because you don't really have that opportunity to um to to to, to like expand as your as a person and psychiatry i found definitely gives me that, that opportunity and cams in particular gives the opportunity to be more creative and i just want to really like enthuse students going through medical school currently that it does get better and it does get easier and it's and it's i sort of sometimes think that medical school is like a square plug and you're trying to fit yourself against the square plug to get through but actually you've got a lot of other facets you could be a, a triangle or a or a circle and you've got all these other joys about you but they don't get explored they don't get valued until later in life um but they will get valued so you just got to get through this particular five-year stint and life does get much easier so i certainly didn't find medical school it's all right you know manageable managed it but i didn't i didn't i didn't feel like i um what's the word didn't feel like i uh found it thrilling well found it i didn't i didn't blossom you know mm. i blossomed later and life has been much easier um, the, the more senior I've become, the more the more uh, you know down the path into CAMS specialty I've become, I found life so much easier. I hope everyone is reassured by the fact that it does get easier. It does. It does. <laughs> it does. It does get easier. Definitely. Yeah. I, can, I can. I can. I can vouch for that. Yeah. I can. I remember also feeling yeah at the beginning like gosh it's difficult you know do I want to do this type thing. You heard it from Dr. Payne first, guys. It does get easier. It does, um, it does. And I think it's also important to reemphasize what you said about exploring other interests and not being solely stuck on medicine, because mm. although it's although it's part of our life, it's not our entire life. And absolutely we all have not. other hobbies and interests that we need to explore. Yeah, def- definitely. Absolutely. Otherwise, <laughs> you don't otherwise you lose perspective, don't you? You put, lose perspective of what you're actually doing, why you're doing it. Exactly. Okay, so can you give us some insight into, I guess, the personal and professional sacrifices that you had to be mindful of when pursuing your career? Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yes. I suppose personal-wise, you've you have got to get through those exams. You know, you've you have you have got to, even though we talk about how important it is to, to be to get to be um to enjoy things outside of medical school. Absolutely. But also it's worth investing the time to get through those milestones. So so I was quite uh, structured with my sort of approach and made sure that when it came to exam time that I just buckled down and worked um, and became a bit obsessive. Uh, but I say obsessive, but again, you know, not too much so you know, nine to five or whatever, you know, and you have your breaks and you still do the things that you enjoy as a break. So you still carry on doing external stuff, get curricular because you have to. But also, you know that you need to get through these exams um, and, the, and the quicker you get through them, the easier then the route will become afterwards. So they don't last forever. You know, I've finished them now few years actually and life is so much easier without exams thank so, goodness they don't last forever <laughs> they don't last forever no I've not done any since um god I don't know four years now or so so um so it's very nice yeah so um so that's a, so, so a sacrifice in that case is I definitely had to put certain things on a uh, you know you have to be mindful of that um you have to be mindful of that timetable of exams to get through you have to be even things like dating um you know you'd be mindful was with dating um took me a while you know for my husband later when I was more when I was more uh, I had more time to date you know I 
feel like you need to need to um, give the time required initially to, to build the stability in your career sometimes before necessarily investing fully in personal life. I don't know. So I feel I feel like I even with children and stuff as well. So like I have not everybody, obviously lots of people have lots of my colleagues and friends have managed successfully to have children while training. Um I felt I that that, that idea daunted me, particularly you know, I thought that was quite scary for me. So to have to balance that and training. So I suppose it's a sacrifice some to some degree that if I have waited until I finished training before starting that journey. And I'm currently pregnant. So um yeah. So, Congratulations yeah. again. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's a sacrifice, to be fair. Um, but it's worth sacrificing because now here I am having reached the end and life is so much easier. And um, my personal life is just, you know, it's just beginning, really, with and yeah, feel very happy and settled with where I'm at. Um, and your other question. So you said personal sacrifices. And did you say professional sacrifices? Yeah, if any. Hmm. Not really. I haven't had any professional sacrifices because I've been very lucky with the path that I've gone down. So that that there's been opportunities for me to pursue what I've wanted to pursue, such as being a child psychiatrist in Anglesey, North Wales, and also I've been able to pursue a career um, in in well at the moment it's still early, but media. You know, currently doing documentary about mental health. Um, and that's only by being creative. My job has allowed me in my sort of special interest time as a registrar started this process last year um, where I've been able to create documentary about mental health, which is for me, it's absolutely amazing. You know, I love it. So coming from somebody who loves drama generally and um, as in the, to the subject drama, performing all the rest of it, you know, to be able to combine that with um mental health my job has just been a bit of a dream come true so that's early days still but it's starting and where will people be able to watch that documentary oh very it is released it's released very soon so i hope that it'll come out in time before you yeah so it's actually released in less than two weeks time um, yeah so 5th, 5th of march at 9 p.m uh on s4c but you can you can you can get s4c on bbc player um and with English subtitles. So 9pm, 5th of March, S4C. I will yeah. be giving that a watch. Thanks, thank you. <laughs> um, so you talked about training. Can you just walk us quickly through the actual training pathway? Hmm. Yeah, so training pathway. So um, obviously you go through medical school, F1, F2 as normal. And I didn't actually do any psychiatry in F1, F2, so don't be perturbed about that. So to get onto the psychiatry um, the reason why I didn't do it is because I was because I was keen to try other subspecialities instead because I'd been told so many times that I should qu- question so many times well, should I be doing psychiatry in the first place. Um, so um, as an F1, F2, I then spent my training like taster days did about I think you're allowed five taster days as an F2, I think um, in psychiatry in, in order to build a portfolio for me to get onto the um, training scheme. So. You do your, so you, you start your training after F2 as a CT1 in core psychiatry training. Um, and so it's called, yeah, so core psychiatry and that lasts three years. And you do, you do your, within the three years, you've got to do six month rotations each year. So you do six different jobs and of them, there needs to be at least one, which is inpatient adults psychiatry and another one that has to be community 
adult psychiatry and then another one that has to be cams or learning disability psychiatry and the rest then can vary so the rest i did all i think maybe also have to do old age psychiatry and then the rest for me was eating disorder and cams well i did cams and ld and eating disorder um i think that's probably the six i did so yes yeah, so you do those six so six monthly rotations for three years did that in liverpool spanning across chester um and sort of Mersey Chester area and which but you obviously can do it anywhere and then you then do your three years of subspeciality training so then you can choose to do CAMS for speciality for three years or you can choose to do old age or general adult um, and that then is a year placement so it's a year so it's three so three years so it's one year each for three years and in that in that time you have to do at least six months of inpatient child psychiatry and then you have to do at least a year of community psychiatry and the rest can vary. Um, so I did. So, yes, yeah, so you do your year. And then after that, you can then apply. You can finish. Hopefully, if you finish your exams, before you do your exams in CT years in the core training. After core training, you finish your exams. If you're Amazing. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, yeah. and then you can cruise. So I've been cruising for the last three years, really. Four years now. Yeah. Because then after because after, after, registrar years are much, I think, easier than as a core trainee definitely much easier than f1 f2 it just gets easier with time i look forward to the cruising days yes <laughs> no it's great it feels nice perfect so i guess we're now entering the portion of the discussion that any medical student whether they're interested in psychiatry or not would benefit from um and that's the advice portion i'd call it yeah so the first thing I'd ask is, from your perspective, um, what are the most important factors that students should consider before committing to any specialty? I suppose I, you'd need to make sure that you've spent time with that subspeciality. And I think you'd need to make sure that you're spending time and observing the seniors in the subspeciality, because they're the ones that you'll end up being like in for like 20 30 years so if this you know don't worry too much if if, the, if you see that the cts are really stressed and they find it hard don't get too perturbed because actually you need to look at the consultants because they're the ones that are going to be in the job for decades to come which is where you would be um and i think that worked i think that's definitely the case i think that's important and um particularly important in subspecialities where you feel oh, actually as a consultant it's still really hard it's still really tough and you've got to think up oh, that's fine if you love it you know wonderful if you if you love it you'll get through it and it won't be you won't feel as tough but then if, if you actually don't feel as much passion about the subject then it can become hard and I think mm -hmm. for, for me I think it's important that you do what you want to do for passion for enthusiasm rather than also rather than doing it for the wrong reasons so I know that and I know that people have chosen psychiatry in the past and um, colleagues of mine have chosen in the past as a core trainee I remember people choosing it because they thought it was the easy way out and it's not the easy way out um, and it mean and it you know if, if you're not passionate about it which they weren't they were doing it for the wrong reasons um, then then it then it can show in your work and it can show in your skill set and actually then it doesn't become easy because you don't know you know you don't have the same um, interest about it so it's so I think it's important you're doing it I think the most important thing is that you've got to have a buzz from what you do yeah. so passion would passion. be the priority yeah yeah, yeah definitely okay. yeah okay and what would you say to a medical student in their clinical phase of training or even foundation doctors who feel 
overwhelmed when they think about choosing a medical specialty? I would say that um, that there is a lot of choice there, which is a good thing. However, you don't have to stick to that choice either. So to not worry about doing the wrong choice, because you can always go back and start another specialty training. You know, you're still early, still young, you know, 2030s. So you've got the rest of your life to choose the right sort of speciality. And if you have to, I've got a colleague who who's a who was initially who did the GP training, then she did a paediatrics training, then she did AE training, then she did camps. You know, she's been a consultant for the last I don't know ten years or so. So and she loves it. So you know, it's it does you don't have to worry too much about doing the wrong one. So don't feel overwhelmed because because it's not set in stone. And whatever you do, whatever you you know, whichever way you get to where you end up being is going to add to the end goal. Because actually, even if you end up doing um, A&E for example first and then you do psychiatry you've gained all that A&E experience which will be valuable for you so it so don't it's not a race to get to where you want to be and that's okay so you shouldn't feel overwhelmed by it. I love that because often sometimes we feel when there's a major decision to be made we have to make it and stick to it but actually we can always change our choices. Absolutely And, and, and it's valued isn't it because you know you have then got a breadth of experience that that person other person doesn't have because they've not done that. They've not gone down. They've gone, you know, if you've gone more of a wiggly route, so that's a more interesting route and more, and you've learned more from doing it rather than going the straight route. Yeah, and you would have p- picked up skills that others wouldn't have that Absolutely. can benefit your practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. And the penultimate question would be thinking back, what would you have done differently, if anything? And what would you have done the same in your journey to becoming a CAMS consultant? I wish I would have um, worried less about the about the future. So I feel like as as a as a as a student, like I said, it, it was it was tough. It was hard. It was long and odious and um and I felt like being a student was hard particularly because you didn't have a a role you know for different reasons it was it was on the wall you'd be a spare part and then you'd be like what do I do now how can I help and you just feel a bit it just wasn't a very pleasant feeling and I suppose I would like to be able to believe when people said to me well I say people I think my mum said to me and a really good friend said to me that it will be that it will be better with time um and I and I because I, I I suppose if I'd have if I had a, if I had a crystal ball and it said to me it's okay Olwen you're going to love it when you get to the end it'll be it's absolutely worth it then maybe I'd worry less early on and when I say worry did I actually do anything differently because I was worrying uh and I wasn't worrying that much but I just definitely didn't enjoy the process as much as I was hoping to um so I suppose but it didn't necessarily change you know the way I did things I still had to still had to go through the milestones did all my exams did all the training you know, all the rest of it um I suppose I would be all yeah would I do anything differently I think first I think I'd probably be a bit more realistic as well because I said I am I don't know I have said how much how important it is to do extracurricular activities but I remember in first year I remember trying to do a bit too much to be honest um and then that then struggling then to be able to manage with all the exams so I think I'd just be more content with with putting my head down, doing the exam, doing all the getting through what I need to get through in order to get to the outcome in the end. So not to worry about something before the time comes for you to worry about it. That's a good interpretation. <laughs> yeah, well done, well said there. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, because I'm always worrying about the next step as well. Sometimes I forget to live in the present. So I think Absolutely. the fact that you said that is reassuring. Yeah. No, thank you. And the final question, hopefully I don't put you on the spot too much by asking this. Yeah. But what is the best piece of advice that you've been given that has shaped you as a clinician? Uh, so actually, I suppose it, I have sort of touched upon it before um, recently. So for me, it's it's realising. For me, it was some my 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 consultant, one of my consultants, consultant supervisor at the time, last couple of years ago, said to me, Olwen. I think you um, sat, I wonder if you struggle with uncertainty and I was like oh maybe I do you know and I thought uncertainty yes yeah, I suppose I suppose I suppose I do actually because like I said before you know you like to know whether something needs this treatment or that treatment and you like to know where this what this child requires and what I need to do and sometimes in life like I said that before you, you you can't know these things and sometimes you just got to sit there and be open in that uncertainty and be happy to sit with it and, and own it and own it with even a parent with a young person they actually we don't know what's going to happen next we don't know if this is going to help we don't and so even and to your colleagues you know we, we can't be certain if this is going to help and that feels uncomfortable and that's okay so I suppose for me I think it's been able to learn how to feel contained emotionally contained when you haven't got certainty over what you should be doing next and trying to then be able to contain other people as well um i think i think that's what i've sort of realized as a psychiatrist as a consultant as a senior member of the team you are expected to contain other people's anxieties um about things so you need to be really mindful of the way you reject yourself and the way you sit with things and that you actually sit actually it's okay to not know and i'm not going to panic or do other things or say other things to try and ha- to try and make up for not knowing i'm just going to sit with it um so that was probably one of my yeah one of the key things that I was advised upon so sitting in uncertainty yeah I think that's a strong point to conclude on um so thank you so much Dr Payne for talking to me today and I hope everybody that listened enjoyed and took something away from it I know I definitely took a lot yeah so thank you so much for joining no worries and yeah do do listen out do watch out the old uh, documentary 5th of March yes Uh, the 5th of March March, um, 9 p.m Nine PM, um, and I have actually just re—I have just recently started a, um, a business Instagram page. Nothing on it much, but Doctor Olwen I go by, uh, and that should be documenting any 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 media stuff that I'm doing. Um, if anybody's interested, on or if anybody wants any advice, they can come and speak to me or ask you know drop a question. I'm more than happy to share my enthusiasm um, and experience with the people that are fancy doing cams. Perfect. I'll tag your social media so that they can come and contact you. Thank you very much. Thank you.